morning. Be reading from Hebrews eleven twenty nine through forty. By faith they passed through the Red Sea, as by dry land. Whereas the Egyptians attempting to do so were drowned. By faith the walls of Jericho fell down, after they were encircled for seven days. By faith Harriet Rahab did not perish when those who did not believe when she had received the spies with peace. And the more shall I say, for the time would fall me to tell of Gideon and Barak and son and Jebediah and also David and Samuel and the prophets. For those faiths subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouth of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of the weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to the flight the armies of aliens, or fight the armies of aliens, women received their dead, raised to life again, others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trial of mockings and scorings, yes, and the chains of imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn too, they were tempted, they were slain with the sword, they wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in the deserts and the mountains and dens and caves of the earth. And all these, having obtained a good testimony through the faith, did not receive the promise, God having provided something better for us, and they should not be made perfect apart from us. Church, thanks for being here with us today. Um, I know those last few weeks of summer, that getaway is pretty tempting, so I appreciate you uh, joining here with us. First of all, I just want to acknowledge, I saw some of you guys snickering, like uh, Chris picked a bad Sunday not to be here, right? Like, uh, it's a fitting tribute uh, to him as he's traveling, so he, he missed out on that one. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you got to be a little more observant. Um, Hey, this month, uh, I just want these last few Sundays to give um, a little update um, as we prepare, as we're in this season of transition that is both exciting and filled with all kinds of feelings. I want to uh, just provide a little update each week over the next few. Um, First, kind of on that same note, I just wanted to give you an update from um, getting to spend some time with some of our partner churches this last month, because I think the two things we're experiencing go together. Uh, we have a large number of churches that have partnered, um, that have are invest regularly in the work that's happening here. And uh, over the summer, I've got to visit those churches and give updates. And it's been, it's just reminded me of what God does. Like when we started the year, I shared with our churches, you know, building and, and us trying, the things we were trying to figure out as part of our prayer updates. And I've just been reminded that churches have been praying for us specifically to that end. And it was really cool uh, last weekend to give an update to The Way. And like, just to be reminded, I was at The Way in Springfield, and like, our church like has a poster in a kid's Sunday school room. And a Sunday school teacher approached me and became emotional sharing with me about how those kids pray for you every single Sunday and have for the past three years. A sweet old lady came and asked me for a health update on people she's never met um, that she prays for every day and is written in her Bible. And so I just want you to know, like, there are people 
highly invested in what is taking place here, praying for you regularly and are celebrating and have been praying even in the midst of uh, leading up to the transition that we're in. So I've experienced that. And then yesterday, I got to spend the day, um, half of the day, with First Baptist Carl, Travis, and I joined them for their work day. And it was just incredible. Like, that place was buzzing. The whole church is there. They are cleaning out rooms, filled a huge green dumpster. And they filled this huge green dumpster with things that have been in that church for longer than anybody in this room has been alive, which does not happen and Old Baptist churches, and the sole motivation for this massive clean-out, this massive workday, was just excitement about the, trans, the, the partnership that's coming. That was the whole reason. And I just, um, yeah, just the more um, that I experience these things and I'm in the midst of what God is doing, the more confident um, and um, encouraged I feel because it just seems evident that God's doing some things um, that we don't understand. So, I just wanted to share that encouragement with you, uh, and I'll continue to give some updates as we get closer and closer uh, to, to emptying this space in the next couple of weeks. Today, however, uh, we're going to continue. Uh, we're coming towards the end of the book of Hebrews. We've got uh, just maybe about six weeks left, and today we're in Hebrews 11 again. Hebrews 11 is really an incredible chapter for Christians to read and reflect on. Uh, that's why we chose Hebrews 11 for our DNA groups to really invest in and focus on this month. The whole point of chapter 11 is that life within the covenant family of God is marked by faith and trust in God's covenant promises. To know God is to trust him, and to trust him is to trust in his word and his promises. And so over the past uh, month, we've approached Hebrews 11 in a couple different ways so far. Brandon took us verse by verse last month through the first 10 verses, and he helped us see the importance of having faith in God's word. And then at the retreat, I shared my own testimony as we reflected solely on just verses 11 and 12, and we leaned into the value of human life and the abundant goodness of God in his ways. Today, we're going to finish Hebrews 11 by looking at a large chunk of Scripture. We're going to look at verses 13 through 40. And this section of Scripture reads almost like a sermon by itself. And this morning, I just, I just really want to present it to you as such. I'm going to provide some commentary for sure. But I want to challenge you this morning just to receive the Word of God and to take this Word, take these stories of faithfulness, and let God, through the Holy Spirit, apply them to your own circumstances so that you might be encouraged to persevere in the midst of whatever you face today. In verses 11 and 12, we considered the faith of Abraham and Sarah. And verse 11 told us that by faith, Sarah received power to conceive. And then we see a description of her faith. She considered him faithful who had promised. And that theme continues as we roll into verses 13 through 16. Let me pray, and then we will dive in to looking at those three verses. Lord, thank you for your abundant goodness and graciousness. You have been very, very good to us, not just in the short time we've been a gospel family, but since the beginning of time, since you began your pursuit of us long before we were ever even a thought in the mind of our mothers. Lord, thank you that through your word we can see your goodness and faithfulness revealed. Lord, help our unbelief that we might remember, believe, and trust in you. Lord, bring us 
um, into your presence this morning and help our weary hearts to see what is true in the midst of whatever we might be wrestling with. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hebrews eleven thirteen, speaking of, coming off of speaking of Sarah and Abraham, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. They are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had the opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Abraham and Sarah, all these heroes of the faith we've read about in Hebrews 11, they died having never seen the promise fulfilled. The promise that God so loved the world that he gave would give his only son to live a perfect life, to die a brutal death so that there would no longer be condemnation for the people of God. Abraham, Sarah, all these saints, they believed in this promise, but they never got to see it play out. And yet, this passage right here tells us they believed. How could that be? This passage, these three verses tell us that it's because in the midst of hardship, in the midst of impossible circumstances, Abraham and Sarah cast their gaze off into the distance and they accepted fully the fact in their times of doubt that this was not their home. People who live lives of faithfulness, people who do bold things because God tells them to, these people all have one thing in common. They are people who eagerly and expectingly are looking and waiting for their real home. Abraham and Sarah, they could have turned back any time they wanted to. And the truth is, you can do the same. All the warnings in Hebrew about those who seek the Lord but then choose to reject him, those are weighty warnings in Hebrews, and all of them are speaking about this. They're speaking about those who catch a glimpse of the glory of God before them but choose to return to the safety of the world. They choose to make this their home. And Abraham and Sarah surely could have done that, but they didn't. Every man has that opportunity But for those who have seen the glory of Christ, who have beheld his love, who have had their hearts regenerated by his never-ending mercy, they can never turn back. They will endure because the regenerate heart can only be satisfied in a better country, a promised land that God has prepared and promised for his beloved people. Verse 17 says, By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, He offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And he considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. So Abraham and Sarah are faithful. They believe in the promises of God. They receive this promised son that God promised them. And then, at the request of the Lord, Isaac is asked to be brought back to God. Abraham 
responds to this. He offers Isaac back. He was willing to be perfectly and completely obedient to the Father because he knew him. And thus, by faith, he trusted his promise. I want you to understand, like stopping here on Abraham and Isaac, the point of God asking Abraham to sacrifice Isaac on the mountain, this was not some kind of loyalty test. Like God isn't a mob boss. That's not the whole of what he was doing. The point was ultimately whether or not Abraham still trusted in the promises of God. It wasn't solely would Abraham sacrifice his son. The point was, did Abraham and also Isaac, because Isaac was of age, like Genesis 22 tells us he carried all the wood up the hill. He wasn't a little boy. He was likely a teenager or maybe even a man. The point for each of them was, do they still believe the promise that God made? Because as this verse that we just read reiterates, God had promised Abraham that his descendants would come from Isaac, and that hadn't taken place yet. So the real test was, do you still believe that I will do what I said I will do? Do you believe that I can accomplish my purpose despite the circumstances as you believed after I did that with a barren old woman? Do you still believe in my promises? And the answer from Abraham and the answer for a young Isaac who surely could have overcome his ancient ancient father that's walking up the hill with him, the, the response from both of them was a resounding yes. In Abraham's mind, his son was going to die on that altar, but Abraham knew that God was fully capable of bringing him back to life and that he would because of the promise he had made. There was no way Isaac was going to die and be gone forever because God had made a promise. And Abraham knew God. He walked with God. He knew enough about the character of the Lord, having walked with him for a hundred years, that he knew his promise would be true. Abraham didn't see this as the end of his son because he knew God and he knew his promises. And he knew that even though he might lose him for a moment, whatever damage might be done, God would undo it one day in his perfect timing. As we consider that story, I just ask you this morning, do you believe this? When you read of the country of heaven, the promise that God will one day restore and reunite all things to himself, do you believe that? Are you willing to lay aside anything that keeps you from delighting in his presence so that you might know him and trust him the way that Abraham and Sarah did. The other reason that God asked this of Abraham and Isaac was to demonstrate the means through which he would save his people. The Lord rescued Isaac, bringing him back from death, figuratively, by providing a lamb. And that lamb, provided by Christ, testified of the great lamb that would come and take our place. Because you and I had a destiny that would end on the mountain. And the Lord provided his own son, the better Isaac, to take our place perfectly so that we might join him as citizens of a better country where only holiness is permitted, but that holiness has been provided in that perfect lamb. This morning, I just, what keeps you from fully trusting this loving God? What is preventing faith like those who came before you? To do anything for God. To have any joy in this world. 
is to do so by faith. That's why that term by faith is repeated over and over again in this chapter. However, the truth about faith is that faith is learned. And often the most faithful people of God are those who have screwed up over and over again. Your race is not over because your faith has faltered. Repent and turn back to the country of life. God teaches His people faith through grace, drawing us back to Himself despite our failures over and over again. And He shares this with us. Consider these examples from each generation. Let's start with the rescued boy from the mountain in verse 20. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. He did this, but he did not do it perfectly. The truth is, God wanted Isaac to give this blessing to Jacob, but Isaac didn't really want to for kind of human reasons. He really liked Esau better because Esau was more manly and he was a hunter and he just he, he knew what God wanted him to do, but he was intent on giving his blessing to Esau. And so in a bit of a sneaky maneuver, Jacob intercepts that blessing and we see that Isaac is shaking at the reality of that. But part of that shaking and that struggle was that Isaac knew that God had intervened in that situation and that God was in control and Isaac had to, by faith, acknowledge that and allow uh, Jacob to continue forth with that blessing that he tried to give to Esau. Yes, he, it, was, it took faithfulness of Isaac to trust and, and acknowledge that God's, God's ways were better than his. And this incredible gift that Jacob received it didn't stop him from needing to be humbled. In verse 21, we keep going down the line. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. Those last few words are put there intentionally to teach us something about the faith of Jacob. Jacob had to lean on the top of his staff because he was given a limp many years before when God straight up showed up and manhandled him under a tree like he straight up showed up and wrestled him and he knocked his hip out of socket and as he leaned on his staff as an old man he remembered that God was great and held his future and the future of his descendants in his hand therefore he worshiped demonstrating his faith and dependence on God in this story in the faith of Jacob we are reminded that some of us need a limp in order to remember who we are. For some of us, that limp is the very gift that saves us, allowing us to endure, allowing us to have a legacy, allowing us to have a legacy like Joseph, who's spoken of in verse 22. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, he made mention of the exodus of the Israelites, and he gave directions concerning his bones. This is a weird one, but this is important. When Joseph died, he was never buried. His coffin laid above ground for 400 years or so until it was taken back to Canaan. And this was intentional. His bones served for all those years after he was dead and gone to remind Israel that they were going back to the promised land. Just as God had said, Joseph would not live to see the promise fulfilled, but he died believing it, and his life testified to it by faith for long after he was gone. And God told Joseph what to do with his bones. And by faith, as weird as Joseph might have thought that was in the moment, he did it. 
because he knew the one who told him to do it. And as a result, every time a young child asked their dad about the strange coffin that was, wasn't buried like all the others, they got to hear the truth that Joseph didn't want to be buried in Egypt. He wanted to wait and be buried in the promised land. And that one day God would lead them to that promised land just as he promised. And that was God's intentionality in this strange request. By faith, the bones of Joseph continued to testify of God's greatness to a weary people long after he was gone. Verses 23 to 26. By faith, Moses, when he was born, he was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful. And they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Those two verses, 25 and 26, kind of say it all in and of themselves. By faith, Moses looked out upon the promise of God, and instead of embracing power and influence in the world and all the comforts that they would have brought, he chose to give life to the people of God. He perceived that suffering in the camp of the Messiah was far greater than boasting in the wealth of Egypt. Why? Because it says he was looking to the reward. His heart, much like Abraham and Sarah, looked off into the distance and acknowledged that they were heading towards, they were citizens of another land. So he looked off to the distance and saw the same. His heart fully anticipated and believed that God would rescue his people. Temporarily from Egypt, yes, but permanently from sin in Christ. And because Moses knew this was true, verse 27, 28, 29, by faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and he sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. And by faith the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land. But the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, they were drowned. By faith, Moses defied an angry king. By faith, he called God's people to depend on the blood of the Passover. And by faith, he led people into the midst of what seemed to be certain death, knowing that some would would endure among God's people. That some, that those whom God had chosen, those whom God had had promised he would rescue, they would, they would cross this sea somehow. This would not, their demise would not come because the promise of God was true. He couldn't see the solution. He couldn't understand how that could possibly be. But he trusted the one that made the promise. In verse 30, he says that by faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. At Jericho, there was no turning back. They had already, the people of God had already crossed the river Jordan while it was flooding. So there was no option for retreat. For six days, they marched around the city 
which had to seem like kind of a weird tactic. Like sometimes God just calls us to things that we can't fully wrap our head around. This doesn't seem like the way I would do it. I would not do this by walking in circles around the city for six days, but they trusted in the one by faith who told them to do this. And nothing happened for six days, which had to seem like a long time. And then on day seven, it did happen. They marched because they considered him faithful. And in verse 31, the same faith, by this same faith, Rahab, the prostitute, did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Rahab was willing to turn her back on the false gods of Canaan that were worshipped by the people. She did this by harboring two spies that were sent by the Lord. This is a remarkable story in Joshua 2 that if you're not familiar with, you should read in its entirety. Part of what makes this story remarkable is that Rahab was not a perfect woman. A lot of either very bashful or very legalistic teachers have done a lot of language gymnastics over the years to try to portray Rahab as something other than what she was. But scripture is clear. Rahab was a prostitute. Her faith was certainly not a perfect one. She was not living in accordance with God's law. Yet when she heard the truth of what God had done, when by the grace of God it clicked through the divine power of God, and she saw his glory, specifically she talks about hearing about the Red Sea, and her response to that is faith. Her heart changed in response to the glory of God. In Joshua 2.11, she in her own words describes this change beautifully when she says, and as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted and there was no spirit left in any man because of you for the lord your god he is god in the heavens above and on the earth beneath as we come to a close this morning i want to share with you the remaining verses the remaining verses zach read them and i'm going to read them again kind of the perfect closing to this uh, this sermon of faith that the author of Hebrews has written. What more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with a sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And church, here, 39 and 40. And all these, though commended through their faith, they did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, They should not be made perfect. I want you to feel those two verses again. And all these, though commended through their faith, they did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better for us that apart from us, 
they should not be made perfect. In other words, all these people, the author's saying, I have more stories than I can even get out. I don't have time to tell you all the stories of God's repeated faithfulness and those who believe in him. Even though all these people had lived out their faith in amazing ways that would be written down for all of history, not one of them got their hands on what God had ultimately promised in Jesus Christ. Not one of them came to the communion table each week to take hold of the Eucharist to remember the body and blood of Christ spilled on their behalf. Not one of them got that privilege that you have today. They did not get to witness the victory of Christ over sin. Yet we have. They looked forward to Jesus and his work during the first advent. And we await his return triumphantly in the new advent. But we await as those who have seen God's ultimate promise fulfilled in Christ. Brother and sister, I just want to remind you this morning that you have been given everything in Jesus Christ. You have witnessed the glorious promise of God fulfilled. How much more opportunity do you have to live a bold, unfaltering faith as you have gazed upon the empty tomb through God's word and through his church. The saints of old and the people of this room, we are made perfect, this text says. Another way that could be phrased is, we are made complete by the blood of Jesus Christ, which we have been given the privilege to know of and to gaze upon. uh, Something that, that those who came before us would have given everything to have the opportunity to do. It's the reason that the enemy has had to up his game so significantly to distract us from this glorious thing that everyone before us would have given everything to gaze upon in its fullness. Jesus Christ, the one who has made us complete with the saints that came before us, he was the fulfillment of the promise that they awaited And he is now the one who promises you this, church. From Revelation 3, 5, the perfect lamb, Jesus Christ, makes this promise to you this morning. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments. And I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. Rooted Church, the author of Hebrews wrote chapter 11 that you might endure by faith, trusting in Jesus Christ and forsaking all other forms of false hope. Moses forsook all else to follow the Lord because he trusted in the promise of a better country. How much more reason do we have to boast in and trust in that promise today? So we live faithfully and boldly. Joseph's bones continued to glorify God long after he lived because he was faithful to the Lord. If today is your last day on this earth, will your life testify of the one through whom you were saved? If not, I just want to ask you, and I encourage you in in community, in your DNA group, 
This is one of the questions. If that's not the case, what has to change? What has to be cast aside at the feet of Jesus? What healing needs to take place because Jesus is eager to offer it? What lies need to be addressed and brought out in the open so they can be exposed as what they are? What needs to be let go of so that you can take hold of all that Jesus Christ has for you? Christian, his grace is sufficient for you no matter your circumstance. Like Rahab, he delights in opening the eyes of the proud, softening the hearts of the wicked. In this way, his power is made perfect in our weakness. Don't waste your faith on pleasing this world. Like the saints before you, acknowledge today that you are a stranger and an exile on this earth. This morning, I, I want to pray uh, over you for that. I want to pray that you, that we, would find delight in the presence of the God who adores us. And that that delight would produce an unwavering faith and an undeniable legacy for the people of God. Would you join me in praying that prayer? Lord, you are faithful, you are gracious, you are awesome. Lord, you have given us everything in Jesus. There is no other identity, no other treasure, no other pursuit. There is nothing this world has to offer that could even um, hold a candle next to the glory that we have been given through Jesus. And yet, Lord, we confess, we are, we are flesh and blood, and we, we often fail to believe that. We're either honest about that, or we're not, but either way, we fail to believe that when we trust in other forms of hope more than we trust in you. Lord, in your grace, you discipline us. You cast our, our hip out of socket. You give us, often, you, give, you have to give us a limp that we might realize um, that our strength is a facade, that you are the only source of real strength, of real hope. Everything else can distract us and numb us for a moment, um, but it will not result in an eternal inheritance. Only the righteousness of Jesus only the perfect holiness of that spotless lamb can make us clean before you, gives us access to that better country. Lord, make us a people of faith. Do whatever you must that we might lay down whatever we must in order to trust in that promise oh, that you will not blot us out of the book of life. Would we trust in that promise take away whatever keeps us from it, that we might be a people who leave a legacy long after we're gone, a legacy that glorifies you. Lord, I, I ask only this of Rooted Church, that we would be a people of faith and that you would use us as you intend and that we would follow you uh, all of our days. Lord, I ask in the name of Jesus Christ 
that you would bless um, those of us who, who um, are a gospel family here together, that you might bless us, that we might persevere to the end uh, through your grace and your mercy. Don't let us turn back. Don't let us turn back, but keep our gaze on the horizon, on the better country that we await. I ask this in the name of the perfect Lamb, Jesus Christ. Amen. This morning, I mean, once again, we come to the communion table, and I just want.